Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 89 of District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I cannot believe we are getting closer to 100 episodes. That'll be here before you know it. And it's incredible where this podcast journey has taken me. I was a bit reluctant to do this medium and bit my tongue and and just went full throttle with it. So there will be some cool announcements that I could hopefully announce here very soon in the coming weeks, I have no doubt. But there's some exciting things happening And I'm really grateful for you guys to be here along for the ride. Two quick notes before I dip into today's podcast episode. First, if you haven't already, go check out my vlog on a recent trip I made to Shenandoah National Park over the weekend during the holiday weekend. I explained how you can employ best practices when you go, how to recreate responsibly, tips to know before you go to the park, Uh, We were in the middle section of Skyline Drive in the big Sky Meadow area where it's pretty popular. And we hiked specifically Dark Hollow Trails and a little bit of Rose River Trail. That incline was, goodness gracious, (laughs) very steep. I am still sore from that trip, but it was a great workout, great time in nature, and a great way to celebrate America's independence. So check out my show notes to see that video if you're curious. Also, I appeared on my friend Remzo Martinez's podcast on the run to talk about conservation, hunting, and just a hodgepodge of issues and free market limited government prescriptions and remedies for environmental problems and conservation solutions. So I think you're going to really like that conversation if you kind of want to see this enmeshing of politics with conservation more so. We kind of went into it on his podcast. But today, I want to focus on several interesting updates here. Some interesting update that you guys should be aware of, especially you fellow Virginia residents who fish and hunt here. First and foremost, I don't know if you guys saw this, but under the recent legislative session, several things passed and several updates are available, which you should be aware of. First and foremost, the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries has changed their name to better reflect all conservation users. So VDGIF has been renamed as the Department of Wildlife Resources. And at first I thought it would detract from the message. It would probably uh, diminish the impact of hunters and anglers. But from what friends have told me and reassured me that this change in the name really has no impact. It just is an effort to rebrand the agency a little better all the while keeping the mission intact um, and obviously acknowledging the work that hunters and anglers do. But this is to make it more all-encompassing in terms of an agency and it really will have no impact on your ability to go fishing or hunting. But it's just a name change. Don't be scared. And I think it's actually going to be positive in the long run. You can eventually, if you live here in Virginia or if you're applying from out of state, you can someday soon apply for a draw for a tag to hunt elk here. This isn't going to happen overnight, bear in mind, 
but this is going to happen, I think, within five to 10 years if the herd can reach. I've heard numbers of 400 strong. Right now, the herd is about 250, uh, given what I saw when I went down there in March of 2019. But the elk tag is now a reality, and that could soon very well be coming to fruition in a couple hunting seasons. So you'll be able to eventually hunt elk here in Virginia. But for now, we just will be delighting in the fact that we have an elk tag. And I will get you more details as it comes to that. And this is, like I mentioned before, along the lines of our elk management plan that was determined for the 2019 to 2028 season. And I talked about this in previous episodes. If you're unsure what this means, uh, want to know more about it, how a managed hunt fits in line with this elk management plan, go to a couple episodes back and you're going to find my explainer there. In an odd turn of events, like a quick week or two turnaround, believe it or not, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline is no more. Despite having a pretty good victory at the Supreme Court, company utility companies like Duke Energy and Dominion, which is a company that most Virginia residents pays their electric bill to, decided to pull the plug on the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. I'm going to read a joint press release from both Dominion and Duke Energy from the Duke Energy website explaining their rationale behind pulling the plug, and here is what they said. Dominion Energy and Duke Energy today announced the cancellation of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline due to ongoing delays and increasing cost uncertainty, which threatened the economic viability of the project. Despite last month's overwhelming 2-7 to victory at the United States Supreme Court, which vindicated the project and decisions made by permitting agencies, recent developments have created an unacceptable layer of uncertainty and and anticipated delays for ACP. Specifically, the decision of the United States District Court of the District of Montana overturning longstanding federal permit authority for body of water and wetland crossings, followed by the Ninth Circuit ruling on May 28th indicating an appeal is not likely to be successful, are new and serious challenges. The potential for a Supreme Court stay of the district court's injunction would not ultimately change the judicial venue for appeal nor decrease the uncertainty associated with an eventual ruling. The Montana District Court decision is also likely to prompt similar changes in other circuits related to permits issued under the nationwide program, including for ACP. This pipeline here in Virginia was expected to deliver on a lot of jobs And many folks will be very disappointed, and rightly so, on account of this. But I wonder also for Dominion if they're pulling back on natural gas development because under the new Virginia Clean Economy Act, the state government essentially wrote into law that the state has to fully transition into so-called clean energy, meaning no natural gas, no coal, and It excluded also nuclear power, too, oddly enough, although it's one of the cleanest energy sources available. And Dominion has to fully comply with this. So I wonder if that also is partly a reason for them pulling back on this project. Now, to end on a good note, due to the coronavirus heightened fears among people for their well-being and safety, we continue to see a rise of gun purchases specifically among new gun owners, first-time gun owners and gun buyers. Experts approximate about 40 to 50%. I think a a conservative estimate would be 40% of gun purchases are those by people who've never held and owned guns before. 
And in Virginia, we have seen historic numbers with respect to gun purchases since March, since the coronavirus took hold here. And I also think the surge in gun ownership and gun purchases and corresponding sales also has to deal with the fact that they've put into law many extreme bills. I'm going to also talk more about what is law now. So they've passed about the state legislature specifically and Governor Northam signed into law five or six laws uh, with respect to the one hand gun a month ban, the 48 hour wait period for reporting a stolen gun the penalty that comes with leaving a gun unattended with anyone under 14, especially in ambiguous cases. It also includes the doing away with state preemption law, meaning that localities can ban guns and the carrying thereof. We're already seeing this in Arlington, Richmond, and my nearby city of Alexandria, Virginia. And that's problematic. You're also seeing a red flag law, a semblance of that also coming to law. There's also a semblance of a universal background check supposedly put into effect to ban private sales, which actually have little to do with crime. According to the Department of Justice, private sales, the so-called gun show loophole, contribute very little, if nothing, to gun violence and gun crime. And There is talks of a special session in Richmond happening in August where they're going to deliberate, again, the assault weapons ban, which actually had Democrat uh, dissension too, oddly enough. But I think they're going to try to pass it and are serious about it, and that should worry you. But I think with these heightened fears of just this pandemic, uh, fear for your safety, and also as a response to just what's happening in Richmond, people here are stockpiling. And some people see this as a problem. I'm more than welcome this type of behavior. I think it's great. And it's great that new gun owners, people who are of different racial backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, and first-time gun buyers are partaking in this and wanting to learn how to do this. And before I talk about these numbers from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, it's also very important to stress that if you are a new gun owner and you're just learning how to operate a gun, make sure you get the proper training because... It would be really imprudent if you do not get the training. While we do welcome people and we want more people to own and responsibly operate and handle firearms, get the proper training. There are many avenues to do this. Lots of gun stores available where you purchased your gun will help you with resources and tips. There are plenty of FFL dealers or uh, trainees or former military who are also trainers and Firearm instructors who can be of help. So if you know someone who is a firearm instructor who can teach you, talk to them, consult them, take lessons, be prepared, know how to use your firearm, and know that it's a last resort item. Now, from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, explaining why, explaining the numbers, here's their report, and I'm reading from the article. Quote, Virginia gun sales soared to historic levels in June, the second record spike in three months, in a tumultuous year marked by the long-term uncertainty of COVID-19 The economic turmoil it brought protests over racial injustices and activists' demands to defund the police. Estimated firearm sales based on mandatory criminal background checks on buyers have smashed monthly records this year, first in March with 80,228 transactions, and again in June with 81,204 transactions, according to newly released figures from the Virginia Firearms Transaction Center, 
which electronically conducts the checks on state retail gun purchases. The June figure is the highest monthly total on record for any month since state police began tracking the data in 1990. It represents an increase of 157% over the number of transactions conducted during the same month in 2019. Like I said, we should be encouraged by these gun sale numbers, but also cautious too. I wonder how it's going to actually have an electoral impact here because I think maybe people are realizing that they voted in the wrong people into Richmond positions and in the state legislature, our general assembly, and maybe they're having buyers or more. So they're responding like this and realizing that perhaps you better get it now before they institute more gun control. Or maybe people are very worried about the trajectory of the country and certain policy proposals and feeling defenseless because of efforts to defund the police. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what impact this will have culturally, politically, economically. We're going to see a boost, I think, economically speaking, in conservation funding, because as I have mentioned throughout this podcast, those monies collected on guns and ammo especially go back to fund hunters' education courses, habitat restoration efforts, and wildlife conservation measures. That was a jam-packed, Virginia-centric podcast. If you got lost with anything I said, if you want more information, go to the show notes. That's where you can find everything that I've talked about. If you want to follow us and support the podcast, I ask this of you. Find us on your preferred platform, especially if you use Apple Podcasts. Go there, hit subscribe, download some past episodes. And if you really like what I have to say and you like what my guests have to say, please leave a review. That really does help signal to me that we are reaching people, that we are impacting the conversation about conservation and environmental issues. And I would be very grateful if you did that. Find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement or an update from me on what you can expect on the podcast or past episodes. And be sure to share the good word. If you have social media and you like this, please be sure to share this with your friends. Any and all efforts to promote the podcast beyond what I do would be greatly appreciated. If you ever have any guest suggestions, please be sure to send those my way. I will be mulling over some more guests, having some people come talk about efforts to combat gun control. We're going to have more naturalists on. I'm going to try to get some other storytellers locally and from beyond to come on and share their story with you all. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We will be entering episode 90 next week. Thank you for joining. I will have some updates for you guys, hopefully soon about some cool updates here for the podcast and just in my projects. Take care, have a good weekend and do your best to get outdoors and recreate responsibly. Bye everyone.